I chose that because I just like to move and I love to feel, I love to be in my body. I mean, I feel like we're, I don't know. It's like my, I I am my body. We are our bodies. So we're going to function according to that. You know, I mean, I really feel like the more functional your body is, the better your life can feel, you know, you can have a different, your experience of life can depend on how active you are and how you take care of yourself. And, and that's just a big piece for me is I just love to move and be in my body. And that's how I grew up. That's what I always did. And so it was, it would just, to me, it was a no brainer to choose something that could be a career where I could continue doing that. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. For any new listeners out there, thank you for tuning in and you are in the right place to learn about everything that helps you to elevate your performance and improve the quality of your life. There's been a lot of great guest interviews, a lot of great stories shared. So check out all of those episodes, including some of the solo topics that I covered. You can check that out on any of your podcasting platforms. If you check it out on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and leave a helpful review. Subscribe to the podcast as well. I've also been working really hard to get a lot of the video content, some of these highlight clips up on my YouTube channel. So check that out. You can search for the h Movement podcast. Once you find my YouTube channel, be sure to subscribe, like these videos, and I've been putting up at least one highlight clip from the previous episodes up daily on my YouTube channel. I'm working on a lot more great content as well, so be sure to subscribe, get all of these videos once they are released. All of my returning listeners, thank you again for joining me for another episode. For everyone out there, I ask you to share some of your favorite episodes. Give me some feedback as well. Share these on social media. Tell me what you like and maybe even some questions that you want me to cover in the future. I would love to hear from any of the listeners out there. Today, I have a very exciting episode planned. And this is something that I've been looking forward to for a while. So with my busy schedule, I actually get help and I have someone help me write the show notes. Now, maybe some of you don't look at the show notes, but they're on my website. They're on all of the podcasting platforms. If you just look at the description of each show. And today's guest is my podcast show notes writer who I've been collaborating with for over a year now. And she is someone that has listened to every single episode episode that has come out and we're past 100 episodes already so she's heard the evolution of the H&L Movement podcast since the beginning and her name is Emily Lindholm and she has a great story much of her story I've learned from talking with her through this podcast but there's a lot of great experiences a lot of great things that she's done growing up and training and dance and now she's a Pilates instructor she does a lot of other things that keep her fit keep her taking care of her body. And there's so many things that I've learned today that I'm glad that we got to share this on the podcast. 
She is working on a lot of great things in the future too. And I'm excited to see some of the future content that she puts out. And we talk about all of this in the episode. I don't want to spoil anything because there's a lot of great things that she shared. So without saying anything more, I'm excited for this one. Let's jump straight into this episode and enjoy this one. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. I'm super excited for this episode because Emily Lindholm is the guest today and she is the person that writes all the magnificent podcast show notes. So she is one of the few I would guess that has listened to every single podcast episode that we put out. (laughs) So it's a lot of great things that she has to share too. And I'm, I'm super excited to welcome Emily to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. So there's so many things that I think I'm going to learn about you today. I mean, we do, you know, touch base every week, I would say, but it's pretty busy, both of our schedules. So we don't get to talk much more than that. But to get started, why don't you share a little bit about you growing up, your background? I'll spoil it a little bit, but you're really interested into health. You're a Pilates instructor. You do a lot of different things. So why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Kansas City. That's where I live now, in Kansas City. And I've been in and out, but um, grew up just in the suburbs of Kansas City. And my I started with dance. I, you know, that's my major. That's what I love the most. That's I grew up just dancing all the time. I was not, I, I mean, I consider dance to be athletic, but if you saw me in gym class, you wouldn't have considered me an athlete. I was one of those kids that would like dodge the ball or it hit me in the nose, you know, or I'd get nosebleeds. Like I was not, I was not the most savvy at sports. But when it came to dancing or climbing, stuff like that, I've always been really into. And so I, yeah, I just, I grew up doing that and I started doing competition dance when I was 12. And then I got real, I got really serious about it once I started competing and I got into the dance company at my studio where after that, I just lived at the studio, basically. Got it. How? So you mentioned that you got into competitive dancing at 12. But mm-hmm. when did you start actual maybe dance lessons or classes? Yeah, I started at age five. Got or maybe it. four, four or five, I started. Yeah, and I just started because my friends were doing it. But then I remember there was this one girl who became my teacher later I watched her and I was she was just one of those people she just lit up the stage you'd see her and she would just take up the room I mean she just everyone you know her eyes would turn when she danced and I saw her and that was it it was like I want to be like her <laughs> and so I started yeah I started getting more serious and learning and it wasn't until I was around 10 and she became she became an instructor I started taking her classes and then I took private lessons from her for a while she was like my idol and then when I was 14 
she spotted me and it was in an audition for just where we were going to go in the next competition year. And I showed up the next week to look at the list Mm -hmm. to see what class I was going to be in and what routines I was going to be in. And I didn't see my name and I was super upset. I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't make it. And, and then someone said, no, you're over here on this list. And, and she had put me in her group and I was just like, what? I'm going to dance on stage this whole year with this woman, this girl who, you know, I've been admiring since I was five. And, and so I came to her and I was like, is this real? Like, cause I was the youngest in that group. And she was like, yes, I've been watching you and I want wow. you in a group. And so that just, I mean, made my whole year. And so she just really inspired me. And then I continued her and her sister ended up starting their own studio and they weren't even, they weren't out of high school yet, but they were just amazing dancers. And they trained in LA with a bunch of professionals every year and they were just phenomenal dancers. And so they went ahead and started their own studio just at the end of high school and their mom helped them run it and everything. And so I went and joined their studio and continued learning with them. And I just lived there really. It was (laughs) my life. Everyone knew me as, you know, the dancer and. Yes. You know, that's, that's so interesting. Like how everything kind of comes to, comes together in a way that, you know, it paves your path, right? And you've heard me talk about this many times before with other guests, but why don't you fill in a little bit about the backstory? So I did not know that this, you were that involved in dance with some of the dance athletes that I have worked with in the past. Dance is probably one of the most rigorous things that your body goes through with the time demands of how many times you practice all of the performances that you guys have to prepare for. So talk about that a little bit growing up, what kind of sacrifices, time commitments did dance take up and did that take a toll on your body? Yeah. Um, I, you know, it required a lot, especially once I started doing competition dance and when my teachers formed their own studio, it was this girl and her sister. It took up, I was, I mean, I pretty much lived at the studio. I went to, I would come home from school, get ready, go to dance. I'd come home in the evening. And then on the weekends we had our competition group. So we had a requirement, you know, we had to go to three hours at least of ballet a week, plus take other classes. And they had Um, unlimited classes throughout the week we could choose and take and then I did the competition group on the weekends and we would just stay there all day and go through one routine after another after another after another and we traveled a little bit too and you know it was definitely all year round Mm -hmm. and if they didn't see you in the summertime then they'd let you know about it you know how long was your typical practice during the week spend about Gosh, probably at least two hours a night, but minus maybe one or two nights. But I would spend about two hours a night at the studio. Got it. I was on dance team at school too. That was just kind of something I did to be involved. It wasn't, Uh it was a time commitment, but it wasn't a serious thing. It was more, this, what I was involved with at the studio was more serious. They were really, even though we were in, you know, we were in the suburbs of Kansas city, which you wouldn't think to to have a lot 
of serious dancers just in the Midwest, but the studio I was at, I was just lucky. Like I just got really good training from these girls. They were very serious about becoming dancers and training dancers. And so I was, I was really lucky to get the training I got. And I would say, I would say I spent about 10 hours a week outside of school at the studio. Got it. And thinking back to like, to fill in for some of the listeners, what does competitive dancing entail? And you can share a little bit about what some of your favorite types of dance were growing up. Yeah. Well, competitive dancing is, I mean, it's different. It's different depending on where you're dancing, but basically these competitions, there are these competition companies that travel around and you, you could choose which ones you're going to go to. Of course, you know, your studio chooses, we're going to do this one, this one, this one, and you sign up and you go there and you spend all week there. And I would usually be in about seven or eight routines. And so you look at your schedule, you show up and I mean, it's pretty high energy. Like people are very excited. You get on stage, you know, people are screaming for you and, and then they have their lineup, you know, you went, you get a certain score and then they take the highest scores. And then sometimes you may compete again in the end in the final round, but they'll have the overall scores. And so the goal is to get it into the, the overalls, like the top 10 of the weekend routines and things like that. But, you know, looking back in hindsight, you know, competition dance was a great experience. I'm really glad I did it. It was very serious. It took up a lot. It took a lot of time and practice and dedication. Looking back though, in hindsight, if I, if I had just taken classes, like an unlimited amount of classes, it probably would have maybe been more beneficial because when you're in competition, you're focusing on the same routines, which there's benefit to that too. And it trains you for getting ready for the professional world, if that's where you want to go. But then I think in hindsight, there's a lot more you can do with just having teachers training you, focusing on technique and taking more, but which we did that too, but. Got it. So with these competitions, are they across all different styles of dance or what was primarily your specialty, I guess? You know, my specialty with was jazz. Okay. Like jazz and lyrical. When people ask me about dance or when I say I've been a dancer, they assume that I am a ballerina. And I've had a lot of training in ballet. I had to for but I used ballet more for technique to transfer to the styles that I found to be really fun. And that was like jazz and lyrical, modern, those, those styles. Got it. So how long did you continue dancing? Even if it was after the competitive circuit, how long do you still dance to this day? I do, but you know, there's, there's another part of the story there. And I think it's important to include everything because it's amazing how things can really come around full circle. Cause I think, you know, you listen, I've listened to some people, you know, especially on your podcast. And it's like, they went from here to here to here and they got there. And my story doesn't quite go like that. You know, I was, I was not very connected to the girls I danced with 
They were great. I don't know, but I was just kind of a shy teenager. And so I got really discouraged towards the end because I would always come up to this. I would come to the studio and I'd I'd go to the bar or I'd get ready for class. And these girls would just be running all around me. You know, they're in high school and they're squealing. And I didn't quite, I don't know. I just wasn't very connected with them. I was the, they all went to school together and I didn't go to their school. I went to another school. So that could have been something I couldn't quite figure out. Like Mm -hmm. why, you know, why can't I just, I couldn't quite, uh, I was just there to dance and I just got discouraged because I didn't quite connect with them in the way where I felt at home. So I just, I would go to the studio and I'd always be a little bit uncomfortable. Like I just wanted to dance. And when we, when we weren't dancing, I had a hard time. Like I was, I felt kind of disconnected. Like all the girls would be chit-chatting about school and So anyway, um, towards the end of my senior year, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to stay with this during the summer. I'm going to college. I'm going to, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to nationals in the summer. Um, I just decided not to be part of that studio anymore. But then I felt like, oh no, I've had... I've had this break. How am I going to make it in college? How do I, I don't know. I was just like, what am I going to do? Am I going to make the auditions? Do I really want to go to college and become a, you know, become like be on the dance team? Do I want to be a cheerleader? I thought, I think that there wasn't a lot of exposure at the time. At least I didn't get very exposed to what all the dance opportunities were. I had an idea that maybe there was more out there than just moving to New York or moving to LA. Cause I really did want to become a dancer, but I thought I was kind of shy and I was like, how am I going to do that? You know, New York and LA, those places are going to eat me alive and I could barely make it, you know, in the studio with these, you know, girls. Like I just, I don't know. I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. My confidence wasn't as high back then. And I just decided you know, I think I'm going to focus on another creative career, one that might be more lucrative. And I, uh, I quit for a while. I just lived like the regular college life. And it was, it's, it's interesting looking back because I remember not being able to watch dancers at that time. Like I couldn't I had a hard time watching anyone on stage or any of those shows. Like, so you think you could dance or dancing with the stars. If those came on, I'd watch them and I'd get glued in and then I would feel sad. Oh yeah. And and so fast forward, I went through college, not dancing. And, Mm -hmm. and some people would ask me about it and they'd be like, is that weird for you? I was like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm focusing on my career. I majored in fashion because I figured it was like, Oh, this is, this is creative and it's businessy. So I can still be creative in a new way and get a career and make, you know, find some way to make good money in this industry, uh, which <laughs> then I made it to my, the end of college. And I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to travel. Okay. 
So I did my last semester in Australia and then I went to Taiwan and got a job as an English teacher. So this is when I, they gave me, they gave me this apartment and it was open. It was this big open apartment with a tile floor and I was by myself and I just remember, I I don't know, I just got to Taiwan and I started dancing and I was like, wow, this is still, this is still in me. This is still a part of me. And so I continued doing it and I started retraining myself. I would come home. Luckily I had good training because I was, I was able to use that and apply it then. And I started just dancing all the time again. And it was just, I just did it. Then I moved into another house a year later with some friends and they, they agreed we could, I could have a little space. So I continued dancing there and it, it was right in front of the window. So I would dance at night so that I could see my reflection. Yes. <laughs> sometimes people would walk by and I was like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. I'm dancing. Yes. And then, yeah. And then pretty soon I started getting some jobs. And so there were some performance companies in LA or sorry, LA, not LA, Taipei. Uh-huh. And I had a friend up there who got me hooked up with some, some people who ran these companies. And so I would perform up there and then it just felt like, Oh, I'm getting paid for this thing that I've always loved so much that I thought I gave up and now it's back. And I did some gigs up there mm-hmm. and, and I never stopped dancing after that. It became got it. Yeah, I was like, I'm never going to stop doing this again. <laughs> that is so interesting. And yeah, sometimes like until it's not a part of your life, right? You don't know how much you appreciate it or what you're missing, right? Until you have that little hiatus. And then when it comes back, it sounds like you really enjoy it again. You found that passion and you appreciate it so much. There was a lot of things that you just shared that I learned a ton. So let's unpack some of that a little bit. Um, But yeah, it's so interesting to hear your journey and how it has kind of come full circle. Now, thinking back, the first question that I have is when you were growing up and dancing all the way through high school, were, were there any injuries? How was your body tolerating all of this? And what was that like for you? Oh, yes. I forgot to, yeah, you asked me earlier about injuries. That was, that was actually a piece because I, I never had any major injuries, but there was one, it was near my junior year that I was doing this big leap and I landed wrong on my ankle and I rolled my ankle really bad and I didn't want, I felt like, oh my gosh, I like, I can't, I should sit out. Mm -hmm. But this part of me was like, no, I should keep dancing. So I kept dancing Got it. and then I injured it even worse. And by the time I came home, it was this big ball. Yes. And so I went to the doctor and it was a sprain. Uh-huh. It was just a sprain, but he w- he told me you should take six weeks off because if you don't, then you're going to roll it again. It's mm-hmm. going to continue getting hurt. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just take six weeks off? And, and at the time, I mean, I couldn't stand on my toes. I could walk fine, but when it came to getting up, being on my toes, I couldn't. So I was like, well, I just want to heal this completely. So I told my teachers I was going to sit out for six weeks and and that didn't go well with them. They didn't, they were like, well, so-and-so rolls her ankle all the time. 
And, and she, she sprained her ankle, you know, it was kind of like, this isn't sitting well. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it was it kind of separated me a little bit mm-hmm. from the team. And so that was kind of one of the little piece that was in there but I haven't injured it again. So <laughs> Yes. Well, that is really good. And you know, some of those things like that's part of the injury and recovery process, unfortunately, is kind of that social aspect or the team aspect or even other things that, you know, how it's perceived right by coaches and teammates or players or other dance, you know, members. So that's something that, yeah, it did probably have some type of influence in, you know, your passion and wanting to continue or not continue dance moving forward. Now, along those lines, so as you went through college, I didn't know that you were a fashion major. So that's the creative aspect that I'm sure you you love through college. Now, after that, you said when you start, you started to wanting to travel. And then I think you said you were in Australia for a little bit and then Taiwan. So how long were you overseas? I spent I think a total of four years overseas I was in Australia for nine months I was only supposed to be there for seven (laughs) so I had a little bit of an issue there coming back Um, (laughs) but I was having a lot of fun over there so I stayed a little bit longer than I than I was supposed to so they actually put they told me I couldn't come back. They were like, you can't come back for three years because you've overstayed your visa. <laughs> Got it. Got so, it. Okay. But, and then, um, yeah. Then I came home for a few months or okay. no, about six months. And then I moved to Taiwan. Got it. So when you moved to Taiwan and then you started dancing again, how is dance similar or different in different areas of the world? Like, is it a common language that even though we can't physically communicate maybe as well in, you know, verbal language is learning dance in other areas of the world. Is that something that's pretty universal? Gosh, I don't know. I think it is a different language everywhere you go. (laughs) Ballet is pretty similar, I guess, in different places. I didn't take a lot of classes over there when I was in Taiwan though. I kind of just, learned on my own and you know I would turn on YouTube and do things like that I did take one ballet class there it was very similar to the classes I'd taken in high school but I would say other styles though there definitely is another yeah there's a language to every style every culture you know the styles that are created within each culture has its own language. In fact, when I came back to Kansas City, I became part of an East Indian dance company and I danced with them for three years. And my dance background play, I mean, she wouldn't, she wouldn't accept anyone in the company who didn't have a dance background, but that was a whole new thing. And my dance background helped with that. It gave me the skills to learn that style, but it was completely different. And that she had to train me to move differently. I was able to learn, I was able to learn those styles and those different movements because of my training, Mm -hmm. but it was a whole new realm for me of, of movement. So yeah. In Taiwan, 
were you actually did you get to dance with other people even though you didn't take classes or did you even teach dance at all i didn't teach dance okay. in taiwan but i danced on stage with other dancers granted it was a little bit easier there to get jobs because i was a foreigner and they were kind of seeking people mm-hmm. you know they they liked to hire people with like blonde hair and you know kind of just looked like the hollywood type people so i guess i got kind of lucky there but it was still fun to get these performances and be dancing on stage and you know getting paid to do what i did my whole life that's right you did mention that you were getting hired to do dance and some performances what were some of those impor- uh, performances like what style or were they like what types of performances i guess The first one I did was samba. So okay. I, it's funny that I learned how to samba dance in Taiwan, <laughs> but that's when I that's that was my first performance. So we danced there was a samba performance company in Taipei, mm-hmm. and so I danced with them. And we would dance for like big company shows, like the oh. some big corporate events that companies would put on, they would hire performers, and so that's what we did was dance for and actually i think that was most of the gigs i did were for big company events where they would have performers and we would come on stage another one was kind of a jazz number where we were in high heels and we had some props and we're you know just kind of dancing around it was like a flashy kind of shakira sort of yes. style <laughs> yes that is interesting so how long did you do that for performing dance in taiwan a couple years okay. the last few years uh, the first year i was there i kind of just spent training retraining myself and mm-hmm. just dancing on my own and then the second two years i was there is when i started performing again and when what made you decide to come back home i guess to the u.s oh gosh well if you've ever taught classrooms full of children <laughs> <laughs> you probably have uh i don't know that's i love kids uh i'm a mom i have a kid i have a little girl but gosh it just wore me out <laughs> teaching, <laughs> teaching classrooms of children for six hours a day even what age group or what level i taught two hours a day of kindergarten okay. and then i jumped around from classroom to classroom teaching first grade fourth grade sixth grade Got it. and it was great i loved my job mm-hmm. i just felt like after three years i thought i think i'm ready to i knew i knew teaching teaching school i knew it wasn't gonna be what I did. It was, Mm -hmm. I thought I should probably find, you know, pave my path, you know, start paving the path that is more Mm long-term focusing on something more long-term, you know, and I was just kind of also the pollution. So I had a really rich experience in Taiwan. I still consider it's like my home away from home still, but I just found myself, there was a flip side of that of just feeling kind of exhausted there and i think it was the mixture of teaching children and also the pollution there was kind of extreme i lived in the mountains okay. but i had a commute every day on my scooter 
to work. It was about a 30 minute commute. And so I was driving in heavy, smoggy traffic. So I think I just was ready to have a little bit of a, a different lifestyle. And so, yeah, I came back and I started teaching dance when I came back. And okay. that's when I got into Pilates too. Got it. So that's a perfect transition because that's what I was going to ask is how did dance transition into Pilates? So you came back and, you know, kind of got, like you said, moving in a different direction, different lifestyle. But I'm sure that a lot of the dance training and experience has helped grasp or help to learn Pilates because Pilates is tons of core, tons of different types of movements that you rely on a lot of strength and stability. So explain that a little bit. When you moved back, you started teaching dance again. And was Pilates something that you've done on the side to keep your dance training or supplement your dance training? Or was Pilates something completely new that you discovered? Pilates definitely went along with my dance training. My One of my teachers in high school was really into Pilates and she would incorporate Pilates in with our dance warms up, warm-ups. So I learned a little bit from her and then I considered it as a career because I had heard from, I actually, yeah, when I moved back, I met some other dancers because I, I started taking classes at different studios, like adult studios and mm-hmm. A couple of the people I would dance with were Pilates instructors and kind of inspired me to look at, okay, like I could uh, get a career where I'm moving and using my body and using this training and using it to continue staying in like dancer condition. Mm-hmm. And so I found someone to train with and started training in Pilates and it definitely is very complimentary to dance. You meet, you see a lot of dancers who teach Pilates or ex former dancers who teach Pilates. It definitely is big in the dance world. And there, I know there are dance studios in places like LA. I know has a lot of dance studios that have Pilates studios there or Pilates teachers working with the dancers. That is amazing that you know there's a lot of overlap and then the training is not only beneficial to dancers but to everyone really to understand some of the ways to move and how to you know use your core in a productive way to actually control these movements so thinking along your pilates is always a part of your training i think and as you started getting more serious into pilates explain what made you what sparked the interest to get your Pilates, I guess, teacher or instructor's certification and to actually start to teach Pilates too? Yeah, well, honestly, what what made me want to get my certification was just to pave that path to how I wanted to live my life. I knew I was never meant for a desk job. And, you know, I kind of wrestled. So for several years, I wrestled with what am I what am I doing? I was having lots of fun traveling and teaching and doing those things, but I kind of wrestled a little bit with what's going to work for me. You know, what's really going to work for me as, as a career. Cause I was told growing up, you know, okay, you got to settle down and, you know, put yourself behind a desk and, and you make some money and that just didn't ever vibe with me. So I think that's why I wrestled with that for a while. What is it that is going to work here? I got to find something that works and Pilates just fit really well with, 
how I wanted to live my life. And it can be a really, um, you know, a legit career can turn into a career and, and it has. And so I chose that because I just like to move and I love to feel, I love to be in my body. I mean, I feel like we're, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. It's like my, I, I am my body. We are our bodies. So we're going to function according to that. You know, I mean, I really feel like the more functional your body is, the better your life can feel. Yes. You know, you can have a different, your experience of life can depend on how active you are and how you take care of yourself. And, and that's just a big piece for me is I just love to move and be in my body. And that's how I grew up. That's what I always did. And so it was, it would just, to me, it was a no brainer to choose something that could be a career where I could continue doing that. Yes. There's so many great things. And I think that's one of the things that we share very similar philosophies and concepts, which for me, when I first met you, I was like, this is a no brainer. Yes. You can definitely help me write my podcast show notes because there's a lot of similar experiences, although through different paths, I think that we share a lot of the similar concepts and thinking back, how long have you been teaching Pilates for now? I've been teaching for about five years now. Yes. And what is your typical, I guess, clientele? Do you still work with a lot of dancers because you're still dancing? Or are you helping all types of people from different backgrounds and activities too? I work with a lot of different people. I see mostly, probably, it's mostly women that I, I see I'd love to see more men come in the studio, but it just women tend to be more attracted to Pilates and most of them are in there. I'd say in between 40 and 70 years old, it tends to be a little bit more middle-aged or older. And I haven't worked. I've been actually kind of pushing for us to market to dancers because the company I work for does have a class that they offer a program for teenage dancers. And I would love, I've, you know, I've been telling them if we can get some dancers in here, I'll teach that class. <laughs> yes. but, so I'm hoping to eventually, I love working with teens. Yes. And Pilates is very, very difficult. So, you know, for, I don't think it's because men aren't attracted to it. It just might be extremely difficult for us to, to do Pilates or some of these things, but it's extremely beneficial, right? And it's good that you help all of these variety of people, different ages. And yes, hopefully one of these days you'll get more dancers in the studio and you can teach that class as well. I do want to touch on, so I'm not super versed in Pilates, to be honest. You know, I do incorporate some of the basic concepts into my training uh, with athletes, clients, and people like that. The core stability aspect is huge for me. But if you were to kind of explain a little bit about your philosophy, your approach, and for someone who maybe this is the first time that they're listening to anything about Pilates, if you were to explain it to them, simply like, what are some of the benefits? What do you do? Uh, what would you tell someone about Pilates? I would tell them it's a, well, it's a full body workout. 
and it's focused on every muscle in the body. And it's not only focused on just getting a workout, but it's really focused on alignment. And one of the major focuses is to restore the neutral curves of the spine and work everything back into alignment toward the midline of the body. And so I'll have people come in who are like, oh, I'm a swimmer or I'm a runner. And I'll get them on the reformer, which is the, mm-hmm. one of the main machines that we use. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be like, oh, you gotta, okay, you gotta move it, you know, move this foot here. And I'll be, you know, just like giving them all these little tweaks <laughs> because even the most athletic people, oftentimes there are muscles that we use more than others that can cause imbalances. So I see a lot of people who are very active and in shape who come in and they need all kinds of things, especially, especially men, bodybuilders, they'll come in and they'll want, you know, they'll, they'll ask me to put on extra weight for this one exercise. And I'll be like, actually, you know, you need less weight because you need to work on your core and less up here mm-hmm. because they're just hunched over like, the, you know, they're hunched over. Yes. I see, I just see a lot of, you know, we, life, just life does things to, you know, we, we overcompensate, we undercompensate, we get little tweaks in our bodies and Pilates is all about correcting that. Mm-hmm. So it is a way to work the whole body. It's definitely a great way to get in shape, but it's also meant to just bring us back to functionality, just gets us functioning again. And I know I train when I did my training, I didn't notice I was already in shape. So I didn't notice it as much, but then I had my daughter And I took a little break from Pilates. I taught while I was pregnant, but then after I had her, I I took a break probably longer than I should have. But that's when I really started noticing the benefits of Pilates, because when I started doing Pilates again, I saw just how it put my body back together. I mean, in the beginning, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be the same. Am I going to be able to dance again? Will I be able to do the things I did before. I mean, I just had never felt so out of whack. And then I got back into, so I took about a year off from Pilates. And when I got back into it, it just put me back together and much quicker than I expected. And so I definitely, that's when I became a huge, even bigger advocate for Pilates. At first it was just like, oh yeah, this would be a great career for me. I'd be good at this. And then after that, it was like, oh, wow, I really believe in this. And I think everyone should do this. Yes. And probably learning and becoming an instructor that deepened your practice too. not only after you had your daughter, but, you know, just deepen your understanding as to how can I incorporate some of this into my practice? So as that experience improved right through the years, how has being more focused with Pilates, or I guess, paying attention to more of the fine details. How has that translated into dance for you? Oh, it's, it's been huge. You know, I actually don't, I kind of, after I had my daughter, I didn't do ballet so much. I was not really feeling like doing ballet. Like I kind of felt like my, 
I didn't know what direction I was going in with dance, but I felt like something was shifting. And I continued doing the East Indian dance for a while. And I thought, well, maybe this is just what I'll stick with. And Pilates definitely helped me stay in shape for some of the shows we did with that. But then I started taking aerial silk classes and I fell in love with that. And now I'm, that's mainly what I do now is aerial silks, uh, the, the silk fabrics and Pilates has done worlds. I mean, that, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And if I wasn't a Pilates instructor, I don't think I would have picked it up quite as quickly (laughs) Yeah. Um, but now that's, that's my main thing. I have a silk, I live in the city. I have a loft in the city and I have a silk hanging in my loft. And so I practice on that and I go to class and that's one of the hardest things I've ever learned in Pilates. Yes. I give all my credit to that for <laughs> training me to be yes, strong. That is yeah. impressive. So I, I'm not too versed in that, but it is the you're suspended, right? And you're doing different types of movements and spins or whatever, whatever things that it entails. But that is a tremendous amount of core stability, coordination, and being able to control your body, right? Otherwise, I've seen not firsthand, but I've seen videos of people that are extremely in shape and athletic, but just completely fall and just hit the ground, right? Because you're not in control of some of this, these small muscles and things that you're not used to using, right? Other than if you're in that type of activity or that class, do you have anything else to share about that? How long have you been doing the aerial silk and how, what was that learning curve like? Yeah, well, let's see. I started taking it, I started doing it seriously, I guess about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I started doing it. I had just, um, my schedule changed. And so I wasn't able to do the East Indian dance anymore because my schedule changed. And then I, but I was like, well, I could go to this aerial silk class because I I was like, I got to do something. And I'd always wanted to do aerial silks. When I saw Cirque du Soleil for the first time, I was like, oh my, I need to be up there. It was like one of those moments like, I want to do that. So I finally started taking classes and moved up to the inner, started doing the intermediate classes. And I don't know. I mean, the it's, I'm still learning. I'm not... Cirque du Soleil level or anything like that, you know, I'm still learning. It's a constant learning, Mm -hmm. but I just love doing it. And Mm -hmm. it's a really fun way to express, you know, it's a, it's like a new avenue for me to express and Uh dance in a different way. But I'd say the hardest part for me is the memorization piece because you have to remember where you're rapping, you know, for each move, you have to remember the raps and how you got in them and and also how to get out of them. (laughs) And if you forget, then you're just stuck up there like, wait, where does this go? I mean, that's the hardest piece. But then also there are just moves that are incredibly challenging where like you just have to drill, you know, there were some moves that I learned. I I mean, still it'll happen where it's like, 
wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this. I might take three classes and then all of a sudden it'll click and I'll be like, Mm. oh, okay, I can do that. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Down, you know, and then I'll, luckily I have a silk at home, so I'll practice, continue practicing, you know, but yeah, it's a big memorization challenge as well as just, it's like gymnastics. Yes. It's challenging. I feel like every time, um, just because, you know, we touch base weekly and I'm usually really busy, but I feel like you're way more busy than I am, you know, but explain a little bit about, you know, what your weekly routine is like, how, how much time do you spend with, you know, aerial silk and Pilates or instructing, you know, what, what is your, your average week like? Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm a single mom, so I have, I have my little girl, my four-year-old and she goes to school and I also have, I also use my, I didn't even get into this, but I have an alterations business on the side. So I have my Pilates job. I teach about 20 Pilates classes a week. Wow plus some privates here and there. Mm-hmm. And I also do alterations for leather. Um, okay. That's another story. My mom <laughs> was a biker. So she got me, there's a, there's just a niche market here for, oh, okay. um, for bikers who need alterations. Yes. So do that, you know, use mm-hmm. my fashion degree. So I, I have those two things going on. And then um, on the nights, you know, where I'm free, then I go to, I'll go to Ariel Silk's class and I'm about to start teaching some classes at a pole studio, some fitness, okay. some like fun fitnessy dance classes. Got it. So I haven't started that yet, but I'm about to. So I don't know. I'm just all over the place really. <laughs> no, but that's good to keep yourself busy and doing all of these things that you love doing in the near future or even in the future, long-term what kinds of things are you looking forward to not only with instructing, but even for you, like with aerial silk or Pilates, what kinds of things are you looking forward to, to kind of keep yourself, like you said, in condition, in shape for dance, you know, whenever the situation kind of arises, whether, you know, you have time for that or not, at least your body can tolerate what you need to do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to performing again. I really would love to begin performing. I haven't really been performing much in the past couple of years. So I'd like to get that in place. I think in the next year or two, I'll probably, or maybe before then, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully I'll be performing a little bit with the aerial fabrics. And at this point, I just love, I just love to be doing it. I just love to yeah. be you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have, if I had started doing aerial silks, then I would have been like, okay, I'm going to get into a company. I'm going to go all the way. And, and I mean, that would be great. But at this point, I just, I'm like happy to be doing it. I'm happy to have a silk in my apartment and just be able to be enjoying that and expressing with it, whether or not someone's watching me or not. But I do love to perform. So I'm hoping to perform with that eventually. And I'm also, I'm looking forward to sharing more. I am hoping to put some content online, 
Pilates-based content, nice. but I'm going to go a little bit outside the box and add some dance content for, I mean, I'm envisioning a lot of women following me, but it doesn't have to be women only. You know, it could be anyone who just wants to get kind of loose. Yes. So it'll be Pilates-based, but then I'll loosen it up a bit. So it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm excited to get that going and get some online content out there because I haven't been, it's been in my, on my list for a while and I'm still working on getting all that in place, but yes. yes. And we'll touch on that in a little bit too. And we both know that creating content and doing all of this, especially if you're doing majority of it by yourself, it takes up so much time. It's things that we both want to do, but it takes up so much time before we touch on that. So you mentioned your daughter, right? Your daughter is about four years old now. So thinking back, that's maybe around four or five is when you started finding that interest in maybe not even interest, but starting dance, right? Is that something that because your daughter's exposed to some of these things, is that something that she's starting to get interested in? Yeah, she does the silks. Okay. She, yeah, she hasn't shown a lot of interest in ballet and those kinds of things, but I teach her the silks and she can do a flip, you know, I taught her how to do a flip and otherwise she mainly just swings around (laughs) the living room, but I can definitely see her if she, you know, she continues having fun with it. Not only is she going to be really strong at an early age, (laughs) But I can see her doing something with that, progressing with it. Yes. Okay, that is amazing. So I did not even realize, like, how do you teach a four-year-old, even if it's just to swing on the silks? Like, how that is beyond my experience, you know? So, like, what kinds of things? Do they actually have classes if she wanted to attend a class um, outside of, you know, just your apartment? Like, what does that entail? for kids to do aerial silk? Well, they do have classes. I haven't sent her to any aerial classes yet. I sent her to gymnastics and it was around the same time that I got the silk in our house. So she would go to gymnastics and then she'd come home and play on the silks. (laughs) And so she's just already getting this really strong base down, but I don't know. I just, she watches me and then I'll show her some wraps that, you know, I'll be like, okay, wrap your arms in this way. And, you know, I'll just teach her very basic things, but I don't know. Kids just pick things up so quickly. And I think that's one of the big themes that I've mentioned a lot. And even kind of, we discuss a little bit, not only here, but outside is that it's the movement component. Like when you start to learn uh, and develop this base of movement at a young age, that benefits you way more than most of us can imagine later on in life. And like just building that strength and having things that she enjoys, whether that's with silk or gymnastics or maybe in the future dance or any any other other type of movement, I think that builds that base so that you can actually take care of your body and do things later on in life, like how you mentioned. Now on that line, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Would it be easier to teach your daughter, a four-year-old, or teach a grown adult how to do silks if they have no experience? Probably my daughter, if they have no experience, (laughs) because they're little monkeys, you know, if you tell them, 
and they're so limber. And yes. if you tell an adult who has no experience, well, engage your lower, you know, tuck your pelvis, engage your lower abdominals. They, they're, they're like, I don't know how to quite get yes. do that. But a little, you know, a little kid, you may not, you may use different language, of uh-huh. course, but little kids just, they're so in tune with their bodies already because yes. they're just jumping and running around all the time. Yes, that is so true. And I, I wanted to just hear your, your perspective, but I would agree it's the exact same thing. You know, whether I'm doing some strength and conditioning, fitness, or even rehabilitation with a, with a client, usually the older they are, and if they'd never had any experience previously doing certain types of movements, it's almost like you're learning them be below the level of learning them from scratch. Like you need to reteach just like how to even feel certain things before you can even do the movement. So, you know, for anyone that's listening, you know, obviously like a lot of people that are older, it's not impossible to learn movements, but just, it takes a lot of training and practice, but for anyone with kids and things like that, I'm a big proponent for trying as many things as you know, you can different variety of activities, sports, it doesn't matter if you're good or not. It's just being exposed to certain things. It does help you in the long run. That is really interesting. And thanks for sharing about the aerial silks, because I do, I will, I want to hear how the progress goes. And then maybe one day your daughter is going to be doing things more advanced than you are. (laughs) I don't know, but it's inevitable that, you know, there's a certain point where like, when you learn all of these basics at a young age, the progression that you advance in whatever the activity is, it's just exponentially gets better and better as the years go on. Do you have any other things to share about the aerial silks? Um, no, except I love the studio I go to. It was, okay. it was an old church okay. and they turned it in uh, this girl, this woman bought it and turned it into an aerial studio and, it's just really great because I, I showed up there thinking, you know, I didn't start doing it till I was in my mid-30s. And I thought I would be in there with a bunch of teenagers. I, yeah, I wasn't really sure, but I kind of, I didn't know what to expect. Uh-huh. Then I go in there and it's most, and it's a lot of women my age and they have kids and it's like, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. It's taking time away and yeah. coming and playing on the silks. And it was just a cool change of perspective for me to just to walk into a studio especially with my experience in high school with mm-hmm. with the girls I danced with mm-hmm. and then to walk into this place and just feel at home like oh these women are so much like me and so yes. when I have fun and flip around and be strong and that is awesome to hear and I look forward to seeing more of your content. So we'll touch upon that a little bit more. And then maybe one of these days we'll see some of your skills and talent with Aerial Silks on your, on your social media or YouTube, but touch on that a little bit. What are some of the future goals that you have with specifically getting content out there, helping probably the existing students that you work with, but also you know beyond that, that's the beauty of putting out some of this video content. What's your philosophy, what direction are you headed in and elaborate a little bit more than what you mentioned a little earlier. For sure. Yeah. The content, you know, I, I've had this, I've been like, okay, I want to start a YouTube channel for the longest time, but what am I going to put on there? 
I, I envisioned, okay, I'll just, I'll put some Pilates stuff on there. But there was part of me that just felt like, no, it's not quite it. <laughs> and then I realized I want to jump outside the box a little bit because I want people to have fun. I mean, me, I, I love working out but I am not the greatest self-motivator. That's why I have an aerial silk in my loft because I need something like that to motivate when it's just me alone. I'm probably not going to motivate myself to do a Pilates routine. Like I still have to go to classes. I mean, I'll spend time in the studio if I'm in the studio and classes are over. I'll work out. I'll stay in the studio. I'll put on some music. I'll work out and I'll enjoy it. But when I'm at home, I don't have as much motivation. You know, I get distracted. <laughs> so I felt like I'm going to put some content out there that's fun and has people excited. And, and it'll definitely be inspired by dance. Yes. I may put some videos on there that are just like, okay, here's how you engage your glutes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, and then it, I haven't decided quite how it's going to go. It might go right into, and you can try these movements to have some fun, you know, engage your glutes and then do this and, uh-huh. and kind of go into some movement parts. So there, if there's someone who just wants the Pilates piece, they can get it. And then if they want to continue on with the video, do some fun movement, they can. So uh-huh. I'm trying to, you know, I'm still working on the creative aspect of that, but I just feel like, yeah, people, I, I know a lot of people who just want to have fun and I am very similar, yes. but I also believe in functionality. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I love the piece. I love teaching Pilates because I love being precise and precision is a part of it too. I don't want to just be loosey, loose, loosey, yeah. loosey with it all. Yeah. You know, I was trained in ballet, you know, precision is a big mm-hmm. piece too. So tying those two things together is definitely an art form. Yes. And I, I think one one of these days, if we ever connect in person, I would love to take a Pilates class from you because I imagine that your clients have a good mix of everything where, you know, they really, really take some of the instruction that you're giving them. And it's fun at the same time, because that is, you know, that's the challenge, right? That's like the art of teaching or instructing anything is like, you can have all of the right answers, the precision and things, but if people don't want to continue, it's kind of pointless, right? And then if people only have extreme excessive amounts of fun, that's great, right? But if they're not progressing or learning how to use this knowledge, then it's kind of like, okay, how can we make it a little better? So I can imagine that you have this good blend for all of your clientele, um, that they really enjoy the classes, but it's also very productive. And maybe it might be in a way that they don't even realize it in the moment because it's so enjoyable, so much fun. But, you know, when weeks and months pass on, they're going to start to notice the improvements, notice how they're moving, notice their strength. So one of these days, yeah, I will. I'm looking forward to all of the content, but hopefully one of these days, maybe I could, uh, you could show me a little bit Pilates and I would be not as got to lower expectations a little bit, even though I do strength and conditioning because Pilates is a whole different animal and I know how challenging it is, but overall that's, that's great information to hear from you. What other things do you think 
you're trying to put out in the future that you've learned over your career beyond the YouTube stuff, I guess, because I know you have a lot of things going on. So if you mention your website, any other social media things that you're working on, what other things would you like to share? Well, definitely. I'm excited about the content. And as far as my career, you know, on the flip side of just creating fun content, I also just, I love, I love it when people come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I stepped foot on the golf course for the first time in five years. I didn't think I could do, I had, I'm thinking of one person who told me that, like, I didn't think I would ever play golf again. Thank you so much. And I just, that's another part of it that I love is just functionality of, so I love teaching and I'm sure you can relate with that. Just getting people back into like functioning, how, not only how they want to function, but also just enjoying, you know, enjoying life. And that's why I do what I do. So I guess, um, yeah, it's, I'm focusing on, I don't know that I will, have I think I'll have I'll have my YouTube channel for sure and I'll have I may have a Patreon where it goes a little more in depth and people can subscribe and become members and so I'm kind of kind of in the creation process of all that as far as what direction I'm heading Mm -hmm. but I definitely want to speak to both ends of functionality across the board just having people you know, be able to zip up and down the stairs and use their bodies in the way they want to use them and enjoy doing movement, maybe, you know, step outside the box a little bit. My, my company, my alterations company is called born so wild, like S E W born. So (laughs) yes. So I, I don't, (laughs) I'm a big, I'm, I'm big on having, you know, stepping outside the box and (laughs) having a good time with whatever you're doing. And so I tie that into whatever I'm up to. Yes. That is, yeah. I like how everything you're doing is coming together. I mean, even utilizing, you know, your fashion background and doing alterations for, I'm sure that's something that you enjoy in a little different way than, you know, some of the physical activities, but it's always great to hear all of the things that you got going on. And so for everyone, again, the little backstory is that you are the podcast show notes writer, and I'm so glad to have gotten connected to you. So usually when I say, that'll be in the show notes. That's kind of your cue for, okay, let's <laughs> dig up some of this information and put it in the show notes. But you obviously know all of the things that you got going on. So you will be putting your own show notes or your links in there, but be sure to check out all of those things. I mean, even if you're in the Kansas city area, and I would say that's such a specialty thing for alterations for leather, because <laughs> I would assume that not every place would do that. So, you know, if you're looking for those types of things, or if you just want to get connected, I'm sure you'll put it in your contact info for all of these things. And I will be sure to update this as we go along. So when you do get your content up there, your YouTube channel, we're working on very similar things. I I feel like, and it takes a lot of time, but when you do get it up there, we'll be sure to add that as well. So people can find you. But this was so great. I know we just touched the tip of the iceberg. And I mean, thanks for sharing your story. Is there any last things, words of wisdom, anything, I guess, for even 
you know, you have a daughter that's around four years old, even for maybe other parents or kids who are looking to get into dance or some of these activities, what are some of the words of wisdom you have from your experiences? Sure. Yeah. I mean, after looking at my story and going, you know, you've listened to the whole go around. The biggest thing I would say is the most important thing I've found is no matter what turns your path may take or unexpected twists and turns, as long as what I found is most important is to continue with yourself. Like I, there have been times when, you know, I may have thought, I hate to use the word fail, but like Mm -hmm. thought I, you know, gave up, gave up on dance Mm -hmm. or may have failed in certain ways. I've Mm -hmm. felt that way at times, Mm -hmm. but one thing I never did was give up on seeking. I've always been a seeker. And I, I think that's why I, I feel really fulfilled where I'm at now. I'd say fulfilled is the good word is just, I feel like I found a path where I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And it's because I've never stopped seeking. I've always been like, okay, there's got to be something, uh, something perfect for me, something, you know, where, who could I talk to? Who, and who could I, where could I look, you know? And oftentimes I, I see people who kind of are like, oh, well, I'll just kind of do what works uh, or what kind of works. And, and and that's not everybody, but I just think it's important to stay true to, to you and to really, to really look in the crevices and see what, what could really, really work. What do I really want? And for kids, I think the most important thing for kids is community mm-hmm. and adults but community is such a huge thing. I mean, I have found, and I didn't go into this a lot, but the people in my life, especially when I came, well, when I was in Taiwan and when I came back from Taiwan, the people in my life have played such a huge role in my fulfillment and sticking with my path and everything. I mean, I think community is so huge. And for kids, especially like when I was a teenager and I quit dancing, it was because I didn't have that sense of community. And I didn't have that, the support I needed from my instructors. And they were amazing instructors, but they were young. That was it. So I just think that for kids, it's just feeling connected and seen and feeling like I think that is the biggest piece for continuing with what they're what they're passionate about. That is a great message. And you know, thinking about it too, that community aspect is a big part of success, right? You there's a lot of people that play a part or influence everyone's journey, like how you've experienced, we've all experienced. And sometimes it's understanding that getting the right group of people around you to support you that may be you know the biggest push to move you forward in the right direction you cannot do all of these things by yourself right and beyond that the community to help others pay it forward i think those are all great things that you're doing and i look forward to so many more things that you're going to be successful at um you have any last words about that but thanks for sharing all of those words of wisdom oh thank you 
Yeah, I think that's that's what I've got. I really <laughs> I feel honored to be on this podcast. You know, I um, it's been really fun talking to you, and especially since I've been connected with, <laughs> with you with this podcast for so long. And yes, it's, it's great being on here as a guest. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And like I said, you're one of the few that have probably listened to every single aspect or every single minute of the podcast and heard the growth. And it still needs to grow a lot, but um, you've heard the transformation, I think, from episode number one, and we're over 100 now. So I thank you for all of the support and all of the hard work as well with the growth of this podcast. But overall, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story. I learned a ton. A lot of these stories are very interesting. A lot of people can relate to this. I think there are, you know, dancers that I've worked with that I've had to learn and understand kind of the background and the experiences that they go through as well. And it's so fascinating because you said this in the beginning of the episode that you don't consider dancers to be like pure athletes, but dance is probably one of the most athletic things that you can do. And I don't know many people, you know, across of different sports who can do what dancers do. So it's a tribute to all of the things that you learned uh, when you were growing up and as a base of just human movement. Overall, thanks for sharing everything. And we'll be sure to put up your Instagram, social media, and any of your information so people can get in contact with you. Thanks so much again for coming on and sharing your story, Emily. Thank you for having me. And I've learned so much from your podcast, by the way. So just I've been able to apply a lot of it to my own life. So thank you for putting this out here, too. Thank you. That's what it's all about, getting connected and sharing, you know, starting these conversations. And if it wasn't for this podcast, I would have never connected with you. So it's been such a great experience. 